This morning, I want to expand the assigned epistle lesson for this Palm Sunday and include the first four verses of Philippians chapter 2. So reading from chapter 2, I will read verses 1 through 11, in part from the Revised Standard Version and in part from the New Revised Translation. The Apostle Paul writes, If there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which you have in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I can't help but wonder what was on the mind of Jesus as he entered Jerusalem. The Apostle Paul encourages us to have the same mind of Jesus among us, and I, I can't help but wonder what was turning over in that mind as he made his way slowly through the city gates, seated on a donkey. Did Jesus understand his entry into uh, Jerusalem as an act of triumph? Or was it simply living out the inevitable? Surely he knew that sooner or later he had to go there. Most of his public ministry had been outside of Jerusalem, much of it in Galilee, up north, where except for rejection in Nazareth, where the prophet was without honor among his own people, his message of repentance and the advent of the kingdom of God had been well received. Multitudes followed him. He healed their sick. He comforted their mourners. He made wonderful promises to them about God's blessing. He fed them when they were hungry. Yes, Galilee was a relatively friendly, receptive place, a good place to begin and maybe stay for a while, and so he did. But he knew that sooner or later he had to leave. He had to set his face toward Jerusalem. So what was on the mind of Jesus as he entered the city? Of course, he knew that the shouts of Hosanna, 
an ascription of praise, which literally means save us, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, would in less than a week become cries of crucify him, crucify him. We know that he knew because he told his disciples that that's what awaited him. Matthew writes in chapter 20, And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside and he told them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. We call it his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But I wonder, was there even a moment's thought of triumph in the mind of Jesus as he entered the city? Did he think of it as an act of winning or losing? Did those words even have any meaning to him? He must have thought about the personal suffering ahead and not a suffering which he wanted, but one he embraced nonetheless. This Holy Week, we will remember again his prayer in the garden when he asked God to take the cup of suffering away from him. God, make it disappear, make it not happen. But we will also hear his final petition. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will, he prayed. I wonder if maybe he had thoughts of pity. Pity for the crowds around him who, notwithstanding all the hosannas and palm branches, would struggle to make sense of the tragic event at hand. Also in our readings this holy week, we will recall again his pity-filled words as he made his way from trial before Pontius Pilate to the hill of crucifixion when he said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. A word also, perhaps, for the daughters of Nashville, Tennessee, this past week. Maybe Jesus had thoughts of pity on his mind, then and today. Well, of course, we will never know for certain what thoughts were on Jesus' mind that day, but we do know what motivation, and finally, what decision led him to Jerusalem. In that sense, we have a window into his mind. Not what was on his mind, but what was in his mind. That's the way the Apostle Paul thought about it. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, For who knows the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But Paul says, We know the mind of Christ. And in today's reading from Philippians, Paul tells us something about the very mind of Christ. Paul uses words known today as the Christ hymn, poetic lines that do give us a glimpse into the mind of Jesus. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which you have in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be exploited, but emptied himself, being born in human likeness, 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That was and that is the mind of Christ. Now to the congregation, to the church at Philippi, also living under the rule of Rome over in in Macedonia, these words must have drawn an unmistakable sharp contrast with a succession of Roman emperors who claim to be, quote, in the form of God. Augustus, Tiberius, Gaius Caligula, and Nero all took their claims of divinity to heart and considered that all their actions disregarding convention and the rule of law were worthy of their divine identity and were even necessary in order to demonstrate and affirm their own like godlike status and power. The mind of Christ was very different. Nothing like that. The mind of Christ was a decision not to use power for self-serving ends, but to use his divine power for one purpose only, for the purpose of love. The Christ hymn says that Jesus emptied himself He did not empty himself of his divinity. He emptied himself of the desire to exploit his divine power and use it for personal gain or even for his God-given purpose and mission. Don't you see, he refused to let the end justify the means, even when the end was the kingdom of God. That good end could only be achieved through love. Love on a cross, if need be. And so Paul explains, he humbled himself and became obedient. Obedient to what? Obedient to love for God and love for neighbor at all cost. And you see, that's what makes our remembrance today a remembrance of a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's a remembrance of the triumph of love over the exploitation of power. It's the remembrance of love winning out over every other means to the end. Well, it's impossible to ignore how incongruous this remembrance feels in the context of the world today, isn't it? For sometimes there is admittedly so little evidence of the triumph of love, at least on the world stage. Power, the exploitation of power have become almost synonymous in our day. And my guess is that it felt much the same way to the congregation of Philippians. Sometimes we have to admit it, it's just just plain hard to be hopeful. But we must not despair. I think it was one of the early church fathers or church mothers who advised that despair was the only unforgivable sin. For one who despairs 
denies the very hope for God's grace, which is the source of all forgiveness. Well, I don't know about that. But this I do know, to the extent that the mind of Christ is also the mind that inspires and leads us as a congregation and as persons, to that extent there is always hope. This I know, that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. And finally, brothers and sisters, that's what, that's what this Holy Week is all about. It's all about the triumph of love over all else. The week ahead is not about us. It's not about the church. It's not about theology or doctrine. The week ahead is all about Jesus. It's all about the final triumph of love. And that's the most hopeful thing I know. Now, to say that this week is not about us is not to say there is nothing here for us, because there is. In this triumphal entry, narrative, there is what we might call a personal takeaway for each and every one of us. It is a word for this congregation. It is a word for us on Monday morning and the next day and the next. That takeaway word is found in those few verses that immediately precede Christ hymn, and that's why I expanded the epistle lesson, the assigned lesson for the day. It's the word in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4, ending in verse 5. So here it is. Now the thought is from the Apostle Paul, but the contemporary rendering of the text is from the Message Bible. And it goes like this. If you've gotten anything at all, out of following Christ. If his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other, love each other, be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front, don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. So there it is. Have this mind among yourselves each and every one, and you will see the triumph of love. Amen.